This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Entitled today's message, Hope in the Waiting. We'll take a look at Psalm 27 together this morning. Psalm 27, starting in verse number one. We're going to read the entire psalm. We're going to focus mostly on verse number 14 today, but uh, the entire psalm is power-packed. Psalm 27, starting in verse number one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked... Even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat my flesh. They stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over until the will of mine enemies or for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted lest I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Last week, we took a look at the thoughts that we think and the meditation of our heart and how the thoughts that we think go to our heart and out of our heart comes our our actions, our deeds, our words, and how we have to keep or protect our heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. And I love this psalm because in verse number one, David sets his mindset for the rest of the psalm. David gets his heart and his head straight on, focused on God and his word, focused on hope, And then he plows through the rest of this absolutely phenomenal, power-packed psalm. As we take a look at this passage this morning, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a few thoughts with me this morning. First of all, to have a proper mindset the way that David did, we need to ask better questions. To have a proper mindset, we gotta ask better questions. The psalms are full of the psalmist questioning God, questioning himself, questioning his own heart, questioning his own actions. But here he asks some really good questions. 
You see, most of the questions that we ask in times of difficulty or trouble or even times of waiting can usually be put into two different categories, fear-based questions or faith-based questions. Some fear-based questions sound a lot like this. Why is this happening to me? When will all of this be over? What's gonna happen in the future? What can I do to get out of this? Is there somebody I can blame this on? Is this somebody's fault? And then the endless stream of what if this, what if that, what if this, how about that, maybe this, maybe that. And we begin to ask a lot of questions that are really rooted in fear. When all this pandemic stuff broke out and we were told that we could not have church services, we could not gather together in one building for church services, I began to ask a lot of questions. What's gonna happen to our church? Can our church really uh, exist for weeks, maybe months, just strictly online. What does that mean for the the Christians in our church that are really beginning to grow and really getting their feet underneath them and are beginning to run a little bit? What does that mean for the Christians that are in the middle of discipleship? What does that mean for folks who maybe are leaving in the next couple of months? What happens to them? Will we have to say goodbye to people before they're ever actually able to join us for a church service again? And the answer to that has been yes. There's a lot of fear-based questions that I had. But the better questions that we can ask during times of waiting, times of uncertainty, are faith-based questions like, what am I really concerned about? I found for me, the questions that I was asking were really rooted not only in fear, but rooted in a loss of control. I'm really concerned because I don't have control over when we can gather together for church services again. I'm really concerned because I can't control what people do in their homes. I can't control who's watching services online. I can't control who's showing up for online gatherings. And I realized that a lot of my fear was rooted in control. Other good faith-based questions to ask, what does the Bible say about my predicament? Friend, When faced with uncertainty, 100% of the time, run back to God's word. It always has an answer for the predicaments that you face. I began to read what the Bible said about times of uncertainty, times of difficulty, times of fear. Other questions. Why am I anxious? Why am I worried? I found especially in probably that first 14 days and Definitely that very first Sunday that we had strictly online services, I was, I was nervous as a cat the whole day long. Oh, man. I was anxious. I was wound up. Hit the button for the, uh, the live stream, and I wonder, is anybody even watching this? Is, anything, is this really going to work? This is the best that we can do, but is it enough? And I began to ask a lot of questions, and then I began to ask, Again, questions like, why am I so anxious? Why am I so concerned? One night Angel and I were talking, and she says, what's your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that people maybe that are on the fence in their faith might fall off during this time. And she said, do you have any control over that? No. Then don't worry about it. Do your best as a pastor to love these people, encourage them to seek the Lord, leave the rest up to him. Okay. I'm really worried about the the finances of our church. You know, will people continue to give to a church 
that they don't actually get to attend. And again, my wife in so much wisdom, do you think people give just because they show up? I said, well, some people only give when they show up. And she said, are there people in our church that give because they love the Lord and they consider themselves to be a part of his church and they give out of love, worship, gratitude, obedience to the Lord, not because they get to show up on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and sit in a chair with everybody else? Yeah, probably so, okay? That was a good question. Why am I so anxious? Why am I so worried? And I began to realize that a lot of my fear, a lot of my anxiousness, a lot of my worry, a lot of my concern was completely and totally unfounded. And so it was not a matter of asking fear-based questions, but faith-based questions. How do I ask better questions? What's God trying to teach me through this? My wife and I this past week had gone out and we were sitting in the car uh, outside and we were talking and she says, what are some things that God's taught you through this? And I just began to lay out a laundry list of things that God has showed me through this time about myself, about our church about my own deficiencies and shortcomings and weaknesses and some areas where I felt like I, I'm, I'm improving and growing in. But God's always teaching us. God's always showing us something about ourselves. And the question is through this, what is God teaching me? What should be my response to all of this? How does God want me to respond to this period of uncertainty? How does God want me to respond to this particular time in world history, but really our church history as well. What does God want my response to be? I shared several times, one of the men in our church, week one, when all this happened, said a phrase that has stuck with me through all of this. He said, I refuse to be led by fear. I'm not gonna allow fear to dictate the decisions that I make, the places that I go, the things that I do. I'm gonna allow God's word and my faith to run the show. I refuse to be led by fear, and I love that idea. My response is trust in God. Here's the question that the psalmist asked, David asks in verse number one. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is my father, why should I fear? If God's given me his promises, for what reason in the world would I be afraid? My friend, if you're listening to this message this morning and you realize that, that there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, you have all the reason in the world to fear and to be afraid this morning. The Bible says that before Jesus Christ, we were at odds with God, we were enemies with God, and we were in danger of God's wrath and judgment. And that you and I cannot save ourselves. We can't just do better, try harder. We don't get God's favor by being good little boys and girls. God gives us his favor, his grace, his undeserved, unmerited favor because he is loving and gracious, not because we're good enough to earn it, but God gives grace to his children. He gives protection to his children. He gives provision to his children. And all of this must come to a point in our time, in our life, where we understand our standing with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's law and are in danger of God's wrath and judgment, all of us. 
Uh, the Bible says that the wages of our sin, in Romans 6, 23, the wages or what we've earned as a result of our sin is death. We deserve to die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell because of our sin. That's what the Bible says. So we are deserving of God's wrath. We're deserving of God's judgment. We deserve to die and go to hell. That's what the Bible says. But I'm thankful that the story does it in there. Romans chapter five, verse number eight says, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died to save you and I from our sins. He took our place. You see, we were supposed to die on the cross. We were supposed to die for our sin. We were supposed to endure God's wrath and punishment, but Jesus says, I'll go instead, and he died in our place on that cross. He took upon himself the wrath of God as payment for the sins of mankind, and the Bible says all that believe in him can be saved. Friend, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior when you've been saved or born again? If not, please understand, you have every reason in the world to fear and be afraid today because God is not your father. God will be the righteous judge for you on the day that you stand before him. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And God has already told us how he's gonna judge. He's already given us the score sheet. If you've sinned against God, you're guilty and you're going to hell unless you pay for your sins by going to hell or you have someone pay for you. I cannot pay for your sin debt. This church could not pay for your sin debt. There's only one person that could and his name is Jesus because he owed God nothing but he took upon himself the sin debt of mankind and all that would believe in him, the Bible says, can be saved Friend, Jesus is the only way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse number six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Friend, you must be saved. You must be born again. Those words mean the exact same thing. You must be a child of God. And John chapter one says, to all that believed on him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And if you would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friend, you can be saved today. Have you been saved? If so, you have no reason to fear. God is your father. God is your Lord. He will look out for you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. But friend, if you are not a child of God. There's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. There is no hope for you apart from Jesus, none whatsoever. It's good to do good things for the sake of doing good, but they cannot erase the debt that you owe God. They cannot care for your sinful condition. You must be saved. But for those of us that are saved, God tells us we have no reason to fear that God's gonna take care of us, but God always works in his own time frame. And so we're reminded in verse number 14, where we'll spend most of our time here today, to first of all, wait on the Lord. Today's outline is gonna be really, really simple. And most of uh, the outlines that we talk through on Hui, at Huikala on a Sunday morning, really simple. You know why? Because we just talk through what the Bible says. I'm not here to give you uh, 10 ways to make the most of the waiting time because we don't find that clearly laid out here in this passage of Scripture. What we do find is commandments from God, wait on the Lord. 
the psalmist David would say, hey guys, I'm just going to wait on the Lord through this. I'm going to trust in God during this time. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. I remember our very first microwave that we got uh, and, and seeing popcorn pop in less than three minutes. It was amazing. I can make a hot dog in less than a minute. I don't have to boil water on the stove. I don't have to get somebody to fire up the charcoal grill. I can have a hot dog in 45 seconds. I remember I'd gone over to uh, uh, my neighbor's house one time and they'd just gotten their very first microwave. And microwaves back then were massive appliances. And I remember she was gonna cook hot dogs and I said, my mom cooks hot dogs all the time. And she says, how long does she cook them for? And I said, I just, I think 45. And she says, sounds great. And so she put the hot dogs on 4500 and hit start. About 10 minutes later, we hear a massive boom and black burnt hot dogs all over the inside of a microwave oven. Uh, That was a little too long. But the idea of being able to have my food right away is greatly appealing to me. Uh, I enjoy cooking as long as the recipes are really, really simple. I don't, here's my rule of thumb. I don't wanna spend more time prepping and cooking the food than it takes me to actually eat it. So that rules out a lot of things. Uh, I I made French toast this past week and that was kind of pushing the envelope. You know, after you uh, make your batter and and put your, your bread and the egg and you let it sit on both sides, you're running up against that, uh, that window of it took me longer to make this than it's gonna take me to eat it, but uh, my French toast was really, really good this week. Thanks for asking. Uh, but um, I don't like, you know, eight hours of prep time. I have, I have friends who love to smoke meat and I'm, God bless any guy that can smoke meat for 14 hours or two days or something like that. I, I don't have time for that. I wanna eat like right now like grilling burgers, uh, you know, that are already thought out where I can flip them after four minutes on each side and call it good. That's my kind of grilling. I don't have a lot of patience. I don't like sitting in traffic. There are times where Angel and I go to a restaurant and we say, you know, table for two, how long's the wait? And he said, oh, it's looking like 30, 45 minutes. Now forget it, we'll go somewhere else. And no lie, we'll walk around for an hour trying to find a restaurant that we can go in and sit down in. Mind you, had we just waited the 45 minutes, uh, we could have already been sitting at a table and probably eating by that, but we just didn't want to wait. That's how impatient I am. And some of you are laughing because you've done the exact same thing and you know what I'm talking about. There's been times where we would go to a a restaurant here and they say, oh, it's going to be probably 30, 45 minutes and we'll drive from town to IAEA to eat at a different restaurant. It's just like, that makes no sense at all. But here's the idea. We don't like to wait. That's kind of built into our culture today. One of the greatest sacrifices that our family made uh, moving to Honolulu, I know you're gonna think it was maybe the house we lived in in Southern California or the uh, financial cost that it cost us to move out here or uh, you know having to get rid of a lot of our kids' stuff and things like that. The greatest sacrifice that our family made for the cause of Christ was giving up one day Amazon Prime delivery. Like I order it, right now at two o'clock in the afternoon and I'll have it by nine o'clock the next morning. I have a friend in San Diego that some items they can get same day Amazon delivery. What? You've got to be kidding me. My word. Because I don't like to wait. And lately, I know first world problems just let me gripe a little bit this morning, but lately when I buy stuff on Amazon, it's like, oh yeah, it'll be delivered on Thursday two weeks from now. And it's just like, oh my soul. 
I know, I know, I'm petty like that. But I don't like to wait. We want things right away. We want instant gratification. Unless you think this is an Anthony King problem, this is why we have such a massive consumer debt problem in our society today. Because I can save for the next 10 years to buy that pickup truck where I want, or I can go buy the pickup truck that I want and use somebody else's money to do it. I think I'll do that instead because I want my truck today. We can save up for our anniversary vacation, or we can put it on the credit card and pay on it for the next five years. I think I'll just put it on the credit card and pay the next five years because we want what we want and we want it now. We don't like to wait. And so when we look at this and we say, wait on the Lord, you're like, oh, great, a message on patience. That's not what this message is about. And hope is not found in just being patient. They did a a study several years ago, and and it's been in a multitude of books that I've read. But basically, they uh, told these kids that they could, uh, they would bring these kids chocolate chip cookies and they would say, you can have one chocolate chip cookie right now, or you can have two chocolate chip cookies in 10 minutes. And most of the kids took the chocolate chip cookie right now because we're not, we're not designed to wait. But this is not a message on patience and waiting things out. This is a message on hope. And hope is not found in just being able to ride out the storm. When we talk about waiting, we're talking about to look forward to the occurrence or the arrival of. It's an eager anticipation or to await with great hope. When we talk about waiting in a biblical sense, the word that David uses here for the word wait on the Lord is more than just like, oh man, I really hope God hurries up here. It's taking a little bit longer than I thought that he would. All right, Uh, how much longer, God? That's not what it's talking about when it's waiting on the Lord. The idea of waiting on the Lord is that I'm patiently, greatly expecting God to work and move in a mighty way. It's more of like I am anticipating the arrival of, I'm anticipating the excitement of. I don't know about you, but have you ever ordered something online and you get a tracking number? And I don't know whether it's been in the past a cell phone that I bought online or a laptop that I wanted to get or a gift that I had for my wife for our anniversary or birthday. But you get that tracking number and then you just keep hitting refresh on the UPS website, refresh, refresh, refresh. And then you finally refresh and refresh and it's just out for delivery and you're like, oh my goodness. And like every knock at the door, every time some uh, dog walks by outside, you're looking out the window to see is that the UPS guy you know, you're sitting in your house. You don't want to go anywhere in case the UPS guy comes. You might have even put a, a note on the front door that says, uh, you know, four packages, call this number because you don't want to miss it, you know. And you're just sitting there waiting. You're hitting the refresh. You're hitting the refresh. You might have even signed up to give you text message alerts. Those don't really work until you actually get it delivered. And after you get it delivered, you don't really need to know that you got it delivered because you already know. But you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And somebody says, hey, you want to go grab lunch? I can't grab lunch. I'm waiting for the UPS guy. You're waiting. That's the idea of waiting on the Lord. I'm really excited about what God's going to do, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm greatly anticipating what God's going to do through this situation. And again, the context of this is the psalmist, David, going through a difficult time, and at the end, he says, I can't wait to see how God brings me out of this. 
I cannot wait to see what good comes from this. I can't wait to see God show how awesome he is. It's a waiting, it's an eager anticipation. You see, he says in Psalm 40, verse number one, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me out also of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, rock established my goings. He hath put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. But it starts off by, he said, I waited patiently. I knew God was gonna come. I knew he was gonna come through. I knew that he was going to hear me. I knew that he was gonna take me out of that horrible pit. I knew that he was gonna set my feet upon a rock and it was greater than I'd even anticipated. Man, that was good. But I was waiting for that moment. It's an eager anticipation. It's not just, you know, twiddling your thumbs while you're waiting for God to show up. No, 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 it's like, ooh, yeah, come on. This is gonna be awesome. I can't wait till God brings us through this. And somewhere probably about the three-week mark of not being able to gather together for church services the way that we normally do, I began to get an eager anticipation hey, wait a minute, this is actually a really good thing. Hey, we can't all gather together to have church services the way that we normally do, but this means that people have to take their Christianity for themselves. There's no place to show up and hope that somebody pushes you along the way. You really gotta get up and do it for yourself or you don't do it. Hey, you gotta sit down on the couch with your Bible ready and a pen and get ready for God's word instead of just showing up and trying to stay entertained while you get a cup of coffee and go to the bathroom and check your Instagram notifications. No, 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 you gotta be a big boy, you gotta be a big girl, and this is an opportunity for you and I to grow in our Christianity. What would happen if we took this thing seriously and came back together six weeks from now six days from now, stronger, better, more in love with Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I began to say, oh, this is gonna be really good. This has the opportunity for us to grow. We've had the opportunity to have several online meetups and Zoom calls that we have. People have said to me, Pastor, I've learned more names in the last three weeks than I ever had before. I never knew so-and-so was married to so-and-so. I never knew that so-and-so was so-and-so's, you know, mom and dad. I never knew that they were going through this problem. I never knew that they, you know, lived right up the road from me. And through this time, we've actually become closer as a church family and community. I had the opportunity to grab coffee with several guys this past week over the internet. He said, hey, man, wondering how you're doing. Let's get together and, and for a quick Zoom call. And I went through you know, probably a dozen or so guys and we just sat and talked about what God was doing in our lives and how we could pray for one another and just to trying to get some eyeball to eyeball time with other guys in our church. Hey, you know what that did? It made us stronger together. And so through this time, we're not just sitting back, well, when can we have church? I'm asking that question too, but here's the thing. I'm not wasting this time that we have. I'm actually trying to strengthen myself during this time. See, when the Bible talks of waiting on the Lord, waiting is more than simply being patient. It's a spirit of expectation at seeing the works and the wonders of God. It's more than simply being patient. Anybody can be patient, but it's a spirit of expectation that, man, God's gonna do something big through this, and I can't wait to see it. It's an expectation that, like, I can't wait 
to see what good comes from this. It's a waiting. Angela and I uh, celebrated our anniversary this past uh, past week. The, the day that I married her, I thought to myself, I got way better than I deserve and uh, I hope she doesn't find that out too soon. Um, I knew she'd eventually figured it out and she did, uh, but it's hopefully not too soon, right? Because I don't want her to be like three days into this going, wow, you know. But anyways, we celebrate our anniversary, but I remember our wedding day, May 22nd. We got married in Destin, Florida, out there on the beach. And uh, I'm standing out there. We were getting married right at uh, close to sunset, and it was uh, about 6 p.m. or so. And um, I get there, you know, 5.30 or so. I'm getting married in 30 minutes, and it wasn't a large church wedding. It was just our family that was out there. And so um, all my family's out there, and we're patiently waiting eagerly anticipating the arrival of the bride and her family. I'm so excited. Her dad was walking around the aisle. I'd never actually met her dad in person before. I only talked to him once on the phone. And so I was so excited. I was eagerly anticipating the arrival of my bride. Oh, man, this is the biggest day of my life. I cannot wait. Eagerness, expectancy. I wasn't out there going like, eh, I hope this is her. Hurry up and get this over with. Ah, oh, this tie's too tight. Oh, this jacket's too hot. Oh, the sun. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. It wasn't a waiting like that. It was just like, I cannot wait for her to show up. I can't wait. Funny thing is, she was late. And I'm not talking about like five minutes late. I'm talking like 20, 25 minutes late. You know, we're supposed to get married at 6, and 6.05, she's nowhere to be found. 6.15, nowhere to be found. And that was back in the day before everybody packed a cell phone on their hip. And so uh, it was a matter of like, hey, does anybody see them? Like, you look, and every car that drives by, you think, is that them? That's not them. Uh, and you just kind of uh, got a little bit nervous, not going to lie. Uh, but eventually she showed up. We got married, and everything was fine. But that eager anticipation, and as I saw her walking down that aisle, I thought to myself, yes, yes. Yes, this is everything my heart has ever desired. This is everything that I want. This will change my life for the rest of my life. There's an eager anticipation, awaiting a sense of expectancy. Psalm 62, verse number five says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So again, I'm waiting on God. I know that God's going to come through. I know that he's going to provide. I know that he's going to bring me out of this, and I can't wait till he does it because it's going to be awesome. That's what we're talking about, awaiting, an excited, eager anticipation. And when we come out of this, God's going to show up big time. God's already shown up big time. I can't wait to see what he does in the future. And while we prepare for uh, being able to gather together again, and we'll share some more uh, information on that and how we're going to do it in the weeks ahead, we're waiting, not just biding our time. No, no, no. We're expecting God to move in a great way. But if we take a look at verse number 14 again. Wait on the Lord. My expectancy and my hope is in the Lord. But secondly, he says, be of good courage, which could just mean be strong. 
The idea to be of good courage means to be or to become strong or powerful beyond the average or expected. I love that definition. Because when it talks about being strong, it's not just talking about meeting the minimum requirements. When it says be of good courage, it says, hey, I want you to be stronger than the average cat. I want you to be more mature than the average Christian. I want you to be more mature, have more integrity, have more in character than the average guy out there, the average gal out there. I want you to be better. And so while you wait on the Lord, I want you to be strong. Now, it's interesting. I I enjoy lifting weights. And you realize that being strong is not something that you're born with or not. It's a progression that you follow along with. And I know some of you are watching like, oh, no, I know this guy from Iowa. He's a corn-fed farm boy, you know, and he was strong as an ox. Yeah, because he was baling hay and throwing hay bales on top of a tractor. I get it. But it didn't come naturally. Everybody had to start somewhere. And so the idea of being strong, you don't just automatically get strong. You have to be strengthened. It takes a while. It takes some growth on our part. But God would never tell us to do something that we don't have in us the capability to do. And so here he's not saying, try to get a little bit stronger. He's saying, be strong. You know, I can't just walk in a gym and put 600 pounds on a barbell and, and back squat 600 pounds. I've got to work up to that. It's going to take me a while to be that strong. And you can say all you want, sit back there and go, come on, be strong. Believe that you can. That doesn't do anybody any good because you have your limits. But God is not saying in here, be strong. And you say, well, I can't. I'm, not, I'm just not strong. No, no, no. You are strong. Why? Because your strength is not up to you. You're relying on his strength. So we see this idea of being strong, it's a choice that we have to make. Being strong is a choice. In the time of adversity and difficulty, you will choose to step up to the plate and be strong or you will hang your head in fear, uncertainty, and doubt and be a coward. That's what the Bible says. That when the time comes, you and I can choose to be strong or we can choose to live in fear. I choose strength. Being strong is a choice. I love this definition of the word. It's translated in the the King James as be of good courage. Other English translations use the, the phrase be strong. But the idea is not that I would just have courage or that I would push through. The idea is that we would have a strength about us. And the word that's used there for be of good courage or be strong means to be more powerful beyond the average or expected. I've seen people through this time of uncertainty have such great faith and strength. You know why? Because they chose to. Because they made a conscious decision to be strong during this time. Strength for all of us is not natural. We have to draw on someone else's strength. But while being strong is a choice, being above average is also a choice. I don't know about you, but in my house, growing up as a kid, C's were absolutely unexpe- unacceptable. 
unacceptable to come home with a report card with C's on it. I was an A and B student in school, except for math, and I was always C's in math. Always tries on my, math was not my thing, still not my thing, um, and here's the thing. I never really had to use Pythagorean's theorem, ever, not once, and so, um, sorry, Coach Lovett, I never used it, man, uh, but uh, I got C's in math, and my parents said, unacceptable. And I, being the smart teenager I was, I said to them, but that's average. <laughs> and my parents said, in all of their wisdom, son, we didn't raise you to be average. And man, I love that. First time Thatcher tried to bring home a C. You know what I told him? Son, C might be average. We didn't raise you to be average. We raised you to be above average. And so uh, it was an A's and B's in my house growing up as a kid, and it's been A's and B's for uh, my kids as well. Uh, because average is just, it's average. But here's the thing. I don't care what kind of grades you got in high school. I don't care how smart you are. Uh, you're probably way smarter than I am, and that's okay. My final semester of Bible college, now mind you, uh, I was 36 years old finishing up Bible college, 35 when I finished Bible college. And it was my last semester. I was fried. I was working full-time, going to school full-time. Uh, I had a wife and three kids at the time, and I was just ready to be done. If you saw my transcripts, I'd actually did the math. What is the lowest grade that I can make in my Greek class yet still graduate? And I shot for that. I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed. Uh, I've confessed it to the Lord, and now I've confessed it to you as my church family, uh, but I just wanted to get by. But you know what God doesn't want you and I to do in the Christian life? Just get by. He doesn't want us to just coast. He expects more of us. And for me, in math, there came a point where I would try as I might, study as I might, but the best that I could do was to see. And my parents came to a place where they said, that's okay because you did your best. God is not content with average Christianity. I tell most of our folks to go through our discipleship program. By the time you complete discipleship, you'll know more about the Bible than 90% of Christians out there. Unless you think that is an excellent commendation on the uh, state of our discipleship program, it's actually quite an indictment on the low bar that Christianity has set in America today. Most people, you say, grab your Bible and turn to Philip 66 this morning. Philip 66 is where we'll be at. People start thumbing through the Bible. They don't, they don't know. For those of you that don't know, Philip is not a book of the Bible. So there's no Philip 66. There's actually a gas station on the mainland, Philip 66. Never mind. Uh, anyways, th that's the worst part about preaching on camera too is there's nobody here to laugh at my jokes or more like groan at my jokes when I give them. So uh, anyways, uh, laugh at home. It'll make me feel better. Uh, but the idea here is that God hasn't created us just to be average. He's created us to be above average. And this idea of be of good courage or be strong means to, to take it to the next level. So while this time, while I'm waiting patiently on the Lord, I'm expecting God to do something, I'm gonna do my part too, and I'm gonna be strong through this. Joshua chapter 10, verse number 25, and Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Joshua says, don't be fearful. 
don't be concerned. Be strong and be of good courage. Our strength in the waiting time comes from the word. Where do we find strength from? Again, it's not enough to just be strong. That's okay, God's given you strength in his word. Everything that you need to live this life for Jesus is found in his word and his spirit inside of you. Everything that you need. Psalm 130, verse number five and six. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Isn't it amazing? He says that while I'm waiting on the Lord, he says, my soul waits for the Lord more than those that watch for the morning. Have you ever gone out to watch a sunrise and you think that you got the time right, but you sit there and the sun's just not coming up and you're just like, come on, son, come up, come up, come up. He says, my soul is waiting for God like that. Come on, come on, come on. Mm, God, I know you're gonna do it. I know you're gonna do it. And you and I have hope in the waiting for God, but we don't have to wait based on what we think is gonna happen. We can wait. We can eagerly anticipate. We can be strengthened in the time of waiting on God by spending time in his word. It has everything that we need. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses seven and eight, and Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him and all the side of Israel, be strong and of good, good courage, for thou must go with these people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them. Thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it does that goeth before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. You know what? The children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land and Moses couldn't go. He said, Joshua, we're going to take them. Joshua, we're going to take them to the place, get this, that God has promised. He had a promise from God that God was going to see them through. He was going to take care of them. He was going to lead them into the promised land. And Moses told him, be strong and of good courage because God's already promised it. You know what I can tell you today with 100% certainty? Be strong and of good courage because God's already promised it in his word. He's already given it to you. He's already given you the promise that he'll see you through, that he'll be faithful, that he'll be enough. Trust him. Our strength in waiting comes from the word, but our strength in waiting also comes from the spirit. Our strength in the waiting comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23 tell us what come out of us as we are filled with walk in, given over to the Holy Spirit but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I love that word, long-suffering. Some uh, English translations use the word patience there. Again, I don't like the word patience because it has the idea of like, I don't want to wait for my frozen pizza to finish cooking, so I'll order Domino's instead. That's not patience. This idea of long-suffering literally means to suffer long. I'm willing to wait this out as long as it takes because I know that God's gonna bring the victory on the other side of this. I'm willing to wait as long as I need to. I'm willing to suffer long because I have faith in God. Where do you get that kind of faith? It comes from the Holy Spirit working inside of you that says, remember what the Bible says. 
we've got this. With God's help, you can do anything. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. You've got this. The Word and the Holy Spirit are everything that you need to draw strength during this time. Well, it's certainly true that certain friends around us can bring strength and can encourage our hearts. And we need Christian fellowship. You need Christian friends. If you don't have them, you got to get in. Where can you find Christian friends? I'm glad you asked. In Jesus' church, we have probably five different meetups a week to help you to get plugged in to people in our church. My wife leads a, a ladies' online fellowship on Mondays. We have a Tuesday night connect groups that meets. We have four connect groups on Wednesday night that meet. We have a single adults connect groups that meets on Friday. We have a lot of opportunities for you to get to know other people in our church. And if you don't have Christian friends, you're missing out on one of the greatest gifts of being a Christian. You need it. I need it. But while we can draw strength from Christian friends, our strength cannot be dependent upon the strength of those around us. This is critical. Please understand, you cannot ride the coattails of someone else's faith. You just can't do it. You know why? Because everybody's going to let you down, except God. You cannot ride in the wake of someone else's strength. It'll work for a minute, but it doesn't last long term. I've been so thankful for the men in Huikala who have come to our church riding on the coattails of their wife's faith. Well, she knows all the Bible stories. She grew up in church. She knows where to find, uh, you know, all these verses in the Bible. I don't really know anything. I didn't grow up in church. But you know what they've done? They've chosen to make it their own. And they've owned their faith. They've committed to discipleship and growing. They have other men in our church that are mentoring them and guiding them through the process. Dudes, two thumbs up for you. You know what they've said? I'm not going to ride on my wife's faith any longer. This is mine. And all the much more, if you have children, men, you must be the resident theologian in your home. You got to know the Bible. And if you don't know it, you need to learn it. But we can't write off somebody else's faith. I can't tell you how many people have told me before, my mom, she prays like nobody else. And I know when I'm in a rough spot, all I got to do is ask my mom to pray for me because she's up at four o'clock in the morning with her knees on the ground, praying to the Lord. So I just, anytime I need something, I call mama. Hey, guess what? Mama's not always gonna be there. And how about this? How about you get your own self out of the bed at 4 a.m. and kneel and pray? How about instead of talking about how much of a prayer warrior mama is, you start being a prayer warrior yourself? You say, well, that sounds pretty harsh. Actually, take a look at verse number 10 in, in our passage, Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Friends, Everyone will fail you. Everyone will leave you behind at some point. Life has a 100% mortality rate. Nobody makes it out. And if I'm riding the coattails of somebody else, at some point I'm not gonna be able to ride that anymore. That's why it concerns me so greatly when I talk to people and I say, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you're on your way to heaven? They say, oh, I am. How do you know that? Well, all of my family are, are pastors. What's that got to do with you? No, no, no. My, my granddad's a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. My brother's a pastor. Hey, look, you could have a dozen pastors in your family. It doesn't mean anything about what your relationship is with Jesus. 
Hey, tell me about when you got saved. Oh, my, my parents have taken me to church ever since I was born. So, I mean, whew, if anybody's going to go to heaven, it's me. Oh, friend, church attendance will never get anybody to heaven. And you can't write off the faith of your parents. You got to own it for yourself. And so during times of uncertainty where we're waiting on the Lord while we're strengthening ourselves, we cannot ride on the coattails of someone else. We got to do it for ourselves. How do we do that? We do it through the word. We do it through the spirit. In times of waiting, when we're told to be strong, waiting time is not wasted time unless you waste it. Waiting time is not wasted time unless you waste it. I'm telling you what, the first couple of weeks of quarantine, I was loving life. I mean, we had gone to the store, we had stocked up on things. We treated it kind of like they do hurricanes, you know, and they say, you know, get enough food and water and stuff like that, and you get your hurricane snacks. Um, and we uh, got in our hurricane snacks, and I got a few bags of Funyuns and some Doritos, and we got some, I'm gonna let you know a little secret, Totino's Party Pizzas. Oh, man, I'm telling you this. When I was a bachelor, I lived on Totino's party pizzas. Man, 79 cents for a frozen pizza. Now, they taste, they're good. It's an acquired taste, I'll give you that. But uh, we loaded up, we went to the grocery. Hey, uh, you know, we're gonna be inside for maybe the next 14 days, so let's get some frozen pizzas. Let's get some, uh, you know, some Ho-Hos, some Twinkies. Uh, let's get some good stuff. You know, we'll get some uh, Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. We're gonna make the most of this. We got ice cream. Somebody brought us super premium ice cream from Costco. I'm telling you this. I had a bottle of hot fudge in the fridge. Life was good. And after about 14 days, my pants started getting a little bit tighter. After about 14 days or probably about four days of that, I felt really sluggish. And I thought to myself, I don't know how much longer this is going to go on, but if I'm not careful, I'm going to come out of this with an extra 25 pounds. And this won't be like COVID-19. This should be like COVID plus 35 on my waistline. I can't afford that. And so you know what I started doing? I thought to myself, I don't know how long this is going to last. And, you know, our gym's been closed down for a couple of months now. Like, what are we going to do? You know what I started doing? I started getting up and working out. Started trying to eat right and exercise. And you know why? Because I don't want to come out of this while I'm waiting for it to be over, having wasted all this time. Now, mind you, you're not going to come back to church and see that your pastor is like ultra shredded and like veins popping out like a roadmap on my forearms. And, uh, you know, you're not going to see me on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, the pastoral edition. I know you're, you're brokenhearted about that. But I'm just saying, I'm going to try to take care of myself because I don't want to waste this time that I have. I want to continue to do the things that I know is right. I haven't slacked on my Bible reading during this time. I haven't slacked on my prayer during this time. I haven't slacked on my care for the people that God's given me the ability to shepherd during this time. I haven't slacked on my family during this time. I'm not just sitting around with my hands in my pockets, flipping the channels on Netflix, hoping that this will be over soon. No, no, no. I have taken this time, and I encourage you to take this time to be strong. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Take a look at verse number 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage or be strong, and he shall strengthen thine heart. He's gonna make your heart strong. He will make your heart strong. 
the phrase that's used there to strengthen your heart means to make strong one's inner self, thoughts, volition, emotions, and conscience. God is going to make me a better man. He wants to make you a better man, a better woman. He wants to strengthen what's already there. He wants to come alongside what he's already done in your life and actually make you better than you were before. So not only are we waiting with eager anticipation of what God does next. I can't wait to see how he brings us out of this because it's gonna be amazing. During this time, I'm gonna take this time and be strong. I'm gonna go back to the things that I know. I'm gonna spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, spend time in, in fasting. I'm gonna look out for other Christians and try to connect with them and still have good Christian fellowship. I'm gonna to continue to do the things that I know are right. I'm gonna run from sin. I'm gonna run from laziness and slothfulness and I'm gonna be strong And during this time, God's gonna come alongside me and he's gonna strengthen me from the inside out. And the idea of being strong, but him making your heart strong is the idea that he continually strengthens the strength that is in us. He tells us to be strong, but he says, I'm gonna help you take it up a notch while you're waiting. I want you to take all the courage, all the strength, all the power that's inside of you. I want you to take all of that and stand firm in that and I'm gonna help you take it to the next level. I'm gonna help you to grow through this. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Be of good courage, be strong and he'll strengthen your heart. Who's he gonna do that for? all that hope in the Lord. Psalm 138, verse number three, in the day when I cried, thou answers me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. You took the strength that was in my soul and you made it stronger. And that's what God wants to do in you and through you. Five quick thoughts today and we're done. Waiting exhibits faith. Again, if I'm waiting, I have to believe that on the other side of this, God's gonna do something great, and that shows faith. I'm eagerly anticipating. God is my my point of reference. He's my point of hope. He's the place that I run to. He's the place that I wait and just say, God, I know you're gonna come through. I know you're gonna come through. I can't wait to see you provide. I can't wait for to see you do something great through this. Lamentations 3.26 says, it's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, I can't wait. God's gonna come through. This is gonna be awesome. Hey, I know you're worried. Hey, I know that you're, you don't have the answers to all the questions that you want, but just hang tight. God's got this. Well, what's he gonna do? I don't know, but it's gonna be awesome. Just wait, just wait. I think of going to watch the fireworks. Usually, not anymore recently, but at seven o'clock on Friday nights at the Hilton Hawaiian Village or 6.45 sometimes, they'll have the fireworks. And you're sitting there waiting the, Clock strikes the time it's supposed to start. You're looking around to see what happens. You're like, what's gonna happen? Just hang tight, it's gonna be awesome. 
Fourth of July fireworks. Oh man, just wait. It's going to be awesome. New Year's Eve. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Get ready. And everybody's standing around watching, waiting. It's going to be awesome. Get ready. And that first one goes up in the air. Everybody's just like, oh. And they sit back and they watch. I think of the waiting time like that. God's going to do something. Hang tight. It's going to be awesome. That exhibits faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when we wait on the Lord, eager, expectation, God, you're going to come through and I can't wait till you do. And in the meantime, I'm just going to hang back and see you work. That exhibits faith. Waiting increases the joy of God's provision. Having to wait for something gives you, allows the anticipation to build. And it brings joy once you actually receive that. I remember for uh, my wife and I, for our 10-year anniversary, I, uh, we usually talk about what we're gonna do for our anniversary. 10-year, I told her, don't make any plans, I've got this. And she was like, well, do I get any input? None. I'm gonna do it all and it's gonna be awesome. And so, I think it was in January, I planned ahead, I'd budgeted everything out, we'd saved up for this trip and it was gonna be incredibly awesome. And I, uh, I booked us a trip to Cancun, Mexico. I got a hotel there on the beach. It was a gorgeous hotel and I planned out some things for us to do during that time. And I'd, I'd gotten our airfare and, and, and things along those lines. It was gonna be an awesome trip. But that was in January and our trip wasn't until May. And I told her, she said, when, when, when am I gonna find out where we're going? And I told her, the week before we go, I'll tell you. And she's just like, what? I can't wait that long. And I said, no, you're gonna have to wait. And the idea was this. The anticipation would build. And I'd be able to maybe drop hints without her knowing that there were, there were hints to be dropped and maybe uh, let her in on something or, or talk about some things that we could do or a place we were going. Or sometimes I, I've even been known to throw her off the scent by saying like, oh, you know, wouldn't you love to go to, you know, Japan? Wouldn't that be awesome? But knowing all the while I'd book a trip to, to Cancun. And so my idea was the waiting would build anticipation so that when we got to go, it'd be like, whoa, this is awesome. I booked it that morning, and by the time I came home for dinner that night, she's making dinner, and I go, I did it. And she goes, you did what? And I go, I booked our 10-year anniversary trip. And she goes, ooh, that's exciting. And I said, don't you want to know where we're going? And she goes, I thought I had to wait. And I go, you do. She was like, well, okay, well, if you wanted to tell me. I do. And she was like, well, tell me. We're going to Cancun. And she was like, what? Did you, is that really where we're going? I go, yeah, it really is. Here, here, let me pull up the hotel and show you the hotel. I completely and totally ruined it because I could not keep that secret because it was so, I was anticipating it so much and I wanted to share that with her. And so you might think to yourself, well, that took all the fun out of it. No, it didn't because for the next five months, we waited and we planned and we looked forward to it. And we go to the store and be like, oh, we need this for our trip. We need that for our trip. Hmm. Funny story. It happened in the middle of the swine flu pandemic. But we went and we had a blast and it was awesome. You know what made it awesome? That five months of anticipation, waiting. 
not twiddling our thumbs, going, is it time to go yet? No, no, no. We had countdowns on our fridge, days until we leave for Cancun. Man, we were so excited about that. Why? The anticipation built. And when you and I wait on the Lord, it builds anticipation for when God comes through. Some of you that are, have lost your job during this time, you know what you need to do? You need to praise God in advance for the next job that you have. And that day that you are able to fill out all of your paperwork and show up and clock in for the first time to that new job, when you clock in, you'll be able to say, praise God. God, you're so faithful. God, you're so good. You know why? Because you waited on the Lord. And so waiting builds anticipation for God's provision for when he actually comes through. Isaiah 25, 9 says, and it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord and we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is God. He, he's doing exactly God's stuff. He's doing the exact same thing that I knew that he would do because he's faithful. And we waited for this and God provided. He came through. Waiting on God also admits that the story isn't over yet. Waiting on God admits that the story isn't over. You see, it would be easy for David as he writes through this to say, hey, people are mad at me. People don't like me. I've gone through some rough spots. But no, he says, just wait. Just hang tight. God's not done yet. Wait, wait, wait. This is not the end of the story. I hope when we come out of this coronavirus pandemic, and please understand we will come out of it. I think we'll come out of it differently, hopefully for the better. But we're gonna come out of this, and when we do, we'll be able to say, I'm glad that chapter is over. I'm looking forward to the next chapter that God writes with the things that he's taught me. Waiting on the Lord says, this is gonna blow over, and when it does, God's gonna come through. Waiting on the Lord is trusting him. You have to understand that through this, God is sovereign. And we talk about the sovereignty of God, that God knows the beginning from the end. He has it all planned out. Nothing happens without God's authority. We took a look at the first or second week. If God has pre-planned your suffering, he's also pre-planned your deliverance. And God will deliver you from this. I promise you that. But please understand, God's plan always adheres to God's timeline. Always. God's plan always adheres to God's timeline. And you say, well, I don't like that. I'm sorry. It's not your plan, therefore it doesn't follow in your timeline. Now, feel free to make your requests known unto the Lord, the Bible says, you want something to happen in your timeline, feel free to, to ask God to do that. And he may choose to do that or not because it's his plan and it always works in his time. So you and I can just eagerly anticipate God's deliverance, how he brings us through this. I'm looking forward to when we can gather back together here and worship together. I'm hoping that's in just a few weeks. 
got some dates on the calendar that we're planning through. Where I'm, I'm reading everything I can get my hands on that the governor and the mayor is saying about uh, different categories of risk and where we're at and when they're going to start these uh, in this particular risk and when they're opening restaurants and when they're opening, uh, looking to open movie theaters and gyms and uh, social distancing guidelines. And uh, we've got a plan laid out how we can adhere to all those things. I talked over our plan with a few men this past week and got some input from them and talking with other pastors around the uh, United States about what they're doing and how they're trying to keep their people safe. Look, we got a plan laid out, but at the end of the day, God has his own timeline and we'll follow that. But as we wait, I'm not just waiting until we can have church. I'm eagerly anticipating. I can't wait for the day that we get to get back together. I can't wait till this room is filled with people socially distanced six feet apart with their masks on, having sanitized all their hands when they walk through. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. I had somebody tell me a few weeks ago, she said, well, I don't want to go to no church service where everybody's got to wear a mask and people are wearing gloves and everybody's sanitizing their hands. Okay, stay home. I can't wait to get together with God's people. We were um, probably three weeks into this. One of our men had called the church and said, Pastor, I'd like to, to bring my tithe check by and stop by and see you. And he said, man, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love to see you. And so um, he came in and, you know, we did the elbow bump thing for a couple of weeks at church and then we couldn't do elbow bumps anymore. And they tell you, don't do that at all. And uh, all this other stuff. And so I hadn't shaken another man's hand in probably four weeks. And he came in wearing a mask up to his eyeballs, wearing a hat pulled down, and wearing a rubber glove. And he walked in and he opened the door and he put his hand out like this. He said, Pastor, I put on a rubber glove so I could shake your hand. And I almost cried. I didn't cry. I don't cry. Um, Not because I'm a macho man, but because I'm probably emotionally dead inside. Uh, But uh, I didn't cry, but I wanted to. Because I thought to myself two things. First of all, this man loves me enough to put on a glove to shake my hand. And secondly, I miss God's people deeply. I love getting together with people online. I love talking online, but it's not the same. Another one of our men came by and dropped off his tithe two weeks ago. He opened the front door and he had a mask on. I try to respect people's boundaries and stuff like that. And I said, hey, man, good to see you. He goes, Pastor, I'm dying to give you a hug. He came and just gave me a hug. I got choked up. Man, I want that. I crave that. And it's going to be a while before we get to what they're calling the new normal, and that's okay too. I just miss God's people. And so I am waiting for the day that we can get back together. Eager anticipation. And I believe that when we do, God's going to do something big. I think he's going to do something special for us. And I'm looking forward to that with eager anticipation. I'm waiting on the Lord. Final thought this morning. All of our hope is in the goodness of God. As we wait on the Lord, as we eagerly anticipate how he'll bring us through this, we need to remember that our source of hope comes from the fact that God is good. God is good. 
talking with our small group a couple of weeks ago. Somebody says, all the time God's good. And I go, are you one of those? And they said, one of what? And I go, you don't know what I'm talking about, do they? They go, no. And I said, oh, okay. I said, because in some churches it's a thing when somebody says, God's good all the time, and then someone else repeats back, and all the time God's good. And so I would say, God's good all the time. And you would say, and all the time God's good. I said, did you know that? No, I think I heard somebody say it somewhere sometime. I just thought it was good. Yeah, it is good. Because God is good. And our hope, our confident expectation based on God's character and the promises of his word come back to the point of God is always good. Take a look at Psalm 27, 13, last verse of the day. I had fainted. I'd given up. I had quit. I had thrown in the towel unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Hey, folks, if it wasn't for God's grace, his goodness, we, we should throw in the towel. We should call it a day. We should quit. We should give up. But if God's still good, I can wait. If God's still faithful, all I got is time. If God is gracious, I can wait because I know when he comes through, it's going to be incredible, absolutely incredible. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Most important thing in the world, if you're listening to this today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, friend, time is running out for you. The moment that you draw your last breath here, you'll stand before God in judgment and you'll answer for every wrong you've ever committed in your life. Be saved today. You don't have to be in a church to be saved. You don't have to go to church to be saved. You just must believe that you've broken God's law believe that you cannot make it to heaven on your own and believe that Jesus is the only way. If you'd be willing today to repent of your sin, ask God to save you, he'd save you today. Friend, you don't have a lot of time to wait on that. But you've got all of eternity to wait on the Lord. For those of us that call ourselves children of God, let's let this week be a week of hope as we wait with eager anticipation on the Lord. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.